before you sit down, sorry, um, another element that we do, I'm going to ask um, Steve to come on up, is uh, we acknowledge that God is here among us, that God still speaks today. And so as we read the scripture for the day, I just want you to recognize that it's God's voice intended to hit your soul today. And so Steve, we'll just ask you to read the passage and we'll stand in, in waiting readiness to hear from God together. We'll be reading Matthew 5, 1 through 11. And seeing the multitude, he ascended a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth. And taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the mar- blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when man shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Amen. These are the words of the Lord. Have a seat. So how many of you guys have read that passage before or heard it ad nauseum? Amen. Uh, These are the beautiful words of Jesus who actually was setting out to try and farm or create a new kind of humanity. And so as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be digging at it because it's actually going to confront some of the social norms that you and I have been kind of inundated with in culture and even within the church at times. And so what we're trying to do here We're trying to lean into the heart of Jesus to understand his values and to actually shape our lives and readjust our valuations of of the systems in order to walk in his ways. Jesus wasn't just throwing this out as applauded or some nicety. He was actually stating what the kingdom of God is really like. But many of us, we read this passage, and we kind of have a hard time. Like, if you were to look at the passage, Matthew 5, open your Bibles if you have Matthew 5, look at verse 3 through 11. Um, Yeah, really, like, take a look. Um, We may have it on the the screen, but look at it all together. Which one of these are you like, eh, I don't know if that one's true. Which one? Like, here, I want to hear you. Which, Which one of those, of the ones in the list, are you struggling with, or not okay with, or you're like, Jesus, that might have worked back when you were alive, but you haven't lived in Vancouver, Washington. I want to hear you. Like, which one is it? Boy, you guys are going to have to, you're a stiff learning curve, guys. I'm going to come to you if you don't start talking. All right? Blessed are the, yeah, thank you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And blessed are those when you are reviled, when people speak horribly about you when you do the right thing. Welcome to the kingdom. It's going to be a great time. (laughs) 
Like seriously, of those, somebody, anybody, throw up a hand and say, this is the one I don't like. Or, I don't not like it, I don't get it. No caveats, come on, don't do that. I'm super spiritual, but uh, 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 nobody's judging, all right? We're real. Blessed are those who mourn, for they... How many of you have experienced mourning in the last year? Something has been removed from your life. Blessed, happy are those who mourn. Really? What about the poor? How many of you have experienced financial loss in the last year? What about those of you who are pure in heart? You have good intentions and you've been run over in the last year. What about those of you who, who have been trying to do the right thing and it's cost you and you've been, you've been sacrificially trying to honor the Lord and you're getting criticized for it? Blessed are you when this is your norm. Jesus, what are you talking about? Because these things don't sound like blessings to me. To be impoverished and needy. However you want to spin the poor in spirit, it means you're needy. You are bankrupt. You're on empty and you have no way of gaining more. Do we like this? No. And it pushes against everything our culture actually says life is found within. So what do we do with this passage? What do we do with the way of Jesus that he's describing to us? Well, some scholars, they look at it and they're like, oh yeah, that was Jesus just painting a picture of the impossible so so that we would never, uh, so that we would know that we need the Lord. Now that's kind of true, but is Jesus really saying like, hey, let's just have this unreasonable expectation and don't even try? I don't think that's the heart of Jesus. I think he really is trying to draw something out of a people who have been formed by the very person and work of Jesus on the cross. That they've been so transplanted from the economics of this here and now world into another world. Because the world around us, man, it's tough. It's hard. When we think about living the way of Jesus in this world, when I think about being meek, People run over meek people all the time. In this world, you either eat or be eaten all too often. And so we find this mix of like, okay, how are we supposed to follow Jesus? We hear these stories of like all-out surrender, and then we watch them, and the world steps on them, beats them up, rejects them, casts them out, much like they did Jesus. And we're like, what? Is that really what it's supposed to look like? And so we look for something that's a little more palatable for us. We look for the, the good news of like, okay, um, what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus Christ died for my sins. The thing that, that separated me from eternal union with God, he conquered through the cross. Amen. But if that's the, 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 the breadth of my understanding of the gospel, I'm like, cool, eternity is taken care of. So what do I do right now in this world when I'm wrestling with desires, with emptiness, with a hunger and a thirst, when, when I look around me and all those other people seem to be finding such satisfaction in the things in our culture, whether it's materialism, whether it's money, whether it's uh, power or success or sex, 
How is it for us as believers if we're just holding on waiting until heaven and we're like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be great someday. The temptation, my friends, is all too great for us to try and dip into both worlds, two economies, both the economy of heaven and the economy of earth. For us to take heaven and want earth as well. But you know what is is said about that? For those who want to save their life will lose their life. But those who lose their life will find their life. We're trying to live something that is biblically untrue. Biblically untrue. And I have to confess that the American Western Church has not helped. I think we've become, myself included in the past, has become very good at making Christianity um, palatable, digestible, instead of making disciples. Where the hope is, is that we can create something that you all will tolerate. Okay? of like spirituality and I'll be like hey I'm going to sell this product to you why? culture is largely consumeristic in the secular world that's how it works right? we are told over and over we have needs and we're the one to fulfill your need and honestly this is not just how the world works this is how the kingdom of darkness works the kingdom of darkness takes what is truly there. This innate emptiness that every creature made by God has within us. And culture will say, hey, I want you to consume that you may be filled. And so consumption becomes the way that we engage with the world. We're looking for the next thing to fill our souls, to bring us that wholeness, to address the emptiness within us. Always longing, never arriving, always journeying, and never finding home. So what if the church is actually piggybacked on the way of the world, and we've said, oh, people are consumeristic. Okay, well, I will make a great spiritual product. We're going to be great at production. We're going to be great at programming. We're going to be great at all of the systematic things. We're going to be refined and perfect. And we're going to create this package to offer people. And then we expect to come and receive this package in hopes that it's actually going to create in us this joy, this fullness, this satisfaction. But all the while, it's just been uh, spirituality that's been compartmentalized. It's packaged well so it goes along with your other idols. You see, this is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is, is invasive. The way of Jesus is life-altering. The way of Jesus doesn't make sense if you're living according to this world. Uh, this may, the church might be small. We may be small. If we're going to follow the way of Jesus, it's not going to be this glamorous way, but it's the real, true way. So when I think about, where did my Bible go? Here we go. Okay. I wrote all these notes on my iPad, and then I got up here, and I was like, I'm just supposed to use the Bible. Isn't that good? Tonight, we're going to look at the first of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
poor in spirit, a poverty, a bankruptcy of the internal bank account within the economy of God. So there's an economy of the world. We got that. It's all figured out. We know how to angle to try and make a good life here beautiful. Do we know how to interact with our spiritual world, the economy of our soul? Jesus talks about being poor in spirit, which means he recognized that there's an emptiness there. That when you were to close your eyes and picture yourself before God Almighty, the immediate response that you have is surrender. It's, it's, it's to fall on your face. It's to recognize that, Jesus, I have nothing to leverage against you. And unless you offer me mercy to stand with you here, I don't belong here. Many of us hate that feeling. Many of us don't want to face that feeling, and so the world gives us products to numb ourselves. It gives us ambition to run after. Meanwhile, this emptiness continues to be there after we dump thing after thing and numb ourselves to the pain of how empty we truly are, how fragile our life really is. We're told in Scripture, Colossians, that Jesus, he's the maker and sustainer of all things. He's the one who's making your heart beat right now. If Jesus stopped intending for you to have your next breath for your next heartbeat, you would drop dead in this instant. You are so fragile. And we're so caught up in this fake world where we think we're in charge because we can choose whatever we want to be entertained with on our TVs. We can order whatever food we want and it'll be delivered to our house. We can do whatever we want. All the while we're pretending to be in charge. We are so fragile and so bankrupt. Look with me at uh, Luke chapter 18. Flip with me in there. I think it's going to be on the screen as well. Um, Luke 18 really uh, gives a hard, hard element here. Because it gives a story of two individuals and their approach towards God. Um, in the Old Testament, it would have been a prayer that you would have been seeking to connect with God at the temple. It would have been the house of prayer. And so we find Jesus uh, telling this parable about two different individuals. They're intended to be two um, characters that we're supposed to see some differences in. Okay? All right. And he told them a parable to the effect uh, that they ought always, um, yes, I'm sorry, sorry, verse 9, forgive me. Um, I was going to read a whole lot more. I was going to get a longer sermon. We don't want that. Uh, verse 9, he also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So that's the audience. Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. 
I give tithes on all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But instead of lifting his eyes to heaven with confidence, he began to beat his chest and moan from the core of his soul this, this horrid, echoing sorrow that, that was formed by the emptiness of his soul. You know, there's a bellow that comes from a person who knows how empty their soul is apart from God. And cries out, Be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everybody who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, Jesus describes for us in Matthew 5.3, the poor in spirit, he, he describes to us a norm. When he, when he describes this parable of these two individuals, the Pharisee says he's standing by himself. That means he's isolating from the other sinners. He's like, oh, I'm not standing over there with the tax collector. Oh, and there's those people. Oh, I know your story. Uh -huh. I'm going to stand right here close to the altar, and I'm going I'm to talk to God. Does he end up talking to God? No, he says, thank you for me. Amazing. I do all these things. It's incredible. And everybody else around, they're like, dang, he's right. He's got it put together. Every other Jew would have been admiring him. The, the, the fasting twice a week, do you know there was only a legal requirement to fast once per year? And him tithing on everything, like on his, on his spice rack, you know what I mean? You weren't entitled to do it to that extent. And so he's like over, uh, he's over uh, extending himself for compensation. And, and you're like, okay, man, what are you, and Jesus is like, man, what are you hiding? We all, you know, hear the joke about the big jacked up trucks. What are you hiding? Like, <laughs> there's something wrong when somebody's public show is bigger than their private reality. And Jesus is like, man, I, just be real. I don't want to talk about what you've done. You see, the Pharisee, he thought that he could give a list to God. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. You know why? So that he could hold it against God to manipulate God. God, you should treat me in such a way because I have done. Do you see that this is a hardness of heart? That this is actually a heart that is closed to God. The Pharisee, he needed nothing from God, and guess what? He walked away with nothing. So if you're here today and you don't need anything from God, you're like, I got it all together, it's good, I'm here with my, with my spouse, I'm just supporting, it's great. Like, cool. You'll probably walk away empty-handed. And, and the way of Jesus is going to make no sense to you. And that's, that's a heartbreaking thing because I'm actually convinced that the way of Jesus is the only way to eternal life. No, no, no. We pray a prayer. We go to heaven one day. Yes, uh-huh, no. Here's the reality is that there are two parallel realities. 
One where there's the king of this world who's trying to convince us to satiate all of our passions and desires, the emptiness, to try and silence the pain so that we can feel good as we cruise towards destruction. And then there's this other reality where Jesus is king, where the gospel isn't just you can go to heaven one day. It's no, there's a king on his throne today. His kingdom is being ushered out now. And those who are uh, willing and able and humble and longing and aware of their need, the door is open to this parallel reality. So that although this world and the circumstances you walk in may feel like hell on earth, and you may feel like you have lost it all, but Jesus says for those people who, who humble themselves, who, who, who find their place of a desperate need, and instead of consuming to be filled up, they cry out for mercy. It says that the humble will be elevated. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that it is the poor in spirit who actually are owners of the kingdom of God. Do you see that? Destitute in this world, possessing all things in the other reality where Jesus is king and his kingdom is here among us and moving more toward us. You see, the way of Jesus is a way of life. Jesus didn't come so that you can have a great life and not feel too terrible while you fall asleep and then go to heaven someday. That's part of what he called you towards. But he actually says, no, I want you to depart from being a fundamental citizen of your real life world and become a citizen of my kingdom of heaven. To go on in this whole section of scripture to say, listen, your heart, your heart needs to be transplanted. Your heart, if your heart is for the world, if you're treasuring the world and believing that it's going to satisfy you truly, and you're just trying to appease me so that you can really love the world, Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. We, we have to transplant our heart. And we have to transplant the very uh, sinners of what we send out into the world to try and receive back goodness. We need to transplant those and pull them back and say, I'm not going to actually seek through my career or my family or my relationship or the power I feel. I'm not going to look for others to make me feel secure or rich. I'm going to say, no, instead I'm going to allow the kingdom of God and my king himself to actually be the fundamental and core reality that I live from so that the kingdom of Jesus and his economy that rewards those who endure for his sake, that he blesses and encourages and comforts those who are mourning, the, the kingdom where Jesus is, is present to us and bringing more goodness to our life, and he is forgiving of our sins, and he creates new hearts in our lives, and he allows us to enjoy fullness like we never experienced on earth because we're actually engaging with the one and only thing that controls truly nourish our soul. You see, the kingdom of this world would love to see you flex, to cover up, to try another thing to kind of make you feel better about the emptiness inside. But Jesus says, as long as you run from the emptiness inside, you are running from the blessing of the kingdom. 
It is good news that Jesus says it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's not trying to withhold it from you. The kingdom is here among you and in working around you. Jesus is not far from you. And the invitation is one of saying, are you able? Are you able to engage with your spiritual state? To check the balance of your spiritual account and, 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 and to be able to go, God, I know who you are. And I know who I've been. And no matter how hard I try, I know that I don't have the ability to leverage you into accepting me. Do you want to know how D.A. Carson, the scholar in the Biblical New Testament, interprets the idea of blessedness in this passage? It's not like the pithy happy. It's blessing is those who are accepted by God. You see, James tells us, and even in Proverbs and older passages, that Jesus gives grace to the humble. He gives kindness. He gives unmerited favor. But he rejects the proud. Those who don't need him, he allows to wander away. See, God doesn't want to be appeased. He doesn't want to be impressed. He wants to handle the very core of who you are. He wants to be trusted with your most intimate weakness. Jesus is found not on your feet standing and putting on a show, proving to the world that you're something. It's He is found on your knees. And so for Sparrow City, even though in the world, for you to be that honest, that I got nothing to put down your walls, to stop pretending when you have a bad week to walk in here and not lie to us. <laughs> to say, like, I am 100% dependent upon Jesus. And he loves me and claims me and makes me his own. And in his economy, he gives me the kingdom that I was made for. So yeah, that's one of our values, and I'll continue to teach on our values as we grow together. Um, any questions about that? Totally open to questions. Wait, what? Aren't we just supposed to watch the movie and then talk about it? <laughs> Do the credits roll now? No, like, how are you? Like, talk to me about that. Like I said, this time is to help you as disciples so that tomorrow when um, you mess up again and you're like, man, God, I, I knew it. I couldn't do it. 
and I know you hate me. I know that you want to get rid of me. I know that I'm not worthy of you, and you want nothing to do with me. I, I don't belong with you. I'm just going to give up trying. Like, And Satan's going to be like, yeah, you are worthless. Yeah, and a true believer wouldn't have done that. How are you going to allow this moment where Jesus, in your mind, picture it, a man on his knees, weeping and crying out, bellowing, acting embarrassingly. If he was doing it in this room, you'd be like, everybody like, oh, this is awkward. Put your phone away. Don't record this. <laughs> we'd be uncomfortable with the level of desperation in this man's heart. It would, it would disturb us to hear his voice cracking and the tears coming down. You, you'd be holding your child close to you. It's okay. How does this moment come to your moment? When you, if you were to honestly not numb yourself with another show, another substance, and be like, yes, I am broken. I'm desperate. And I'm undeserving for you to allow yourself to not just sit in it and agree with Satan and agree with your own destructive self-hatred. But instead, say, Jesus, I'm making a fool of myself. And I have to believe, Lord Jesus, if you really love me, if you're really true, if you're really who you say you are, if you really are worth taking my heart away from this world and truly trusting you, Jesus, on my knees, you will, allow, you will come to me. And you will allow your knees to feel this crushing concrete under me. You'll feel my pain. You'll allow my tears to fall on your shoulder. And you'll look me in the eyes and it won't be one of rejection, it'll be one of love. Because that's where the kingdom exists. That's where Jesus meets us. He doesn't want to play games. He doesn't want to show. He wants your very true self. Thank you. Okay, me. Try. So I just grapple with so listening to your sermon and uh, reading that about how you know this one person I've done all these things, you know, I fast twice a week and I blah 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 and the person who's like, No, I'm I'm a sinner and I need you and then you say, you know, God doesn't want us to be things to appease him. Well then of course in my head I'm going so how do I, because I try really hard to be a good person and help other people, and, but I do those things, yeah, sure, because I want to, and that's in my heart. But of course I also do them because I know that's what God would want me to do. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, well, shoot, now I'm doing it to appease him. How do I do things without doing them to try to appease him? And if I don't have a lot of things that I feel like I'm, I mean, we're all sinners, mm-hmm. right? I do a lot yeah. of things every day. And, obviously a sinner for, but we hear over and over in sermons and in the Bible how it's the sinners that fall at his feet and want him to forgive us and say, I'm not worthy. Those are the people that find, you know, yeah. his eternal love and, and the kingdom. So then I'm, so of course, 
it's, um, I don't know how to articulate it, but I'm just like, oh gosh, now I'm worried that I do things because I think she goes, oh, they're just trying to make me happy. <laughs> but I do do things because I know that's right mm -hmm. and that's the Christian way to live. And in my mind, that that is, we should be living to appease him, right? Yeah, I would but, but, So it's like kind of a mixed message, I guess. It's jumbled in my brain. How, how do you live like a Christian if it isn't to appease him? Yeah. I think the, the nuance that I would pull out, and feel free if others have, have some other clarifying thoughts too. Um, when I think of the word appease, I kind of think of almost like the pagan um, rituals that um, in, in the ancient Middle East, they felt like they had to keep their gods happy so that the gods would continue to bless them. And so that's why a lot of, um, there was sacrificial systems in a lot of different cultic places because th there's a fear and so it's more just like, I got to keep this, this guy happy or else he's going to thump me. And that's, that's just, that's what Jesus is pushing against. He doesn't want to be appeased. He wants to be um, worshipped. And so what you're talking about is beautiful. It's pleasing to the Lord. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount goes on and he says, um, do what you do in secret so that the God, the Father who sees you in secret will reward you. There, there is this beautiful sacredness of your sacrificial goodness that you offer the Lord. Um, I would just say, if anybody's feeling like you got to do to be accepted, that's that's what is opposite to what Jesus is communicating here. We are accepted through His grace, not because of anything that we bring to the table. So once we become Christians. That's where it shifts in our mind that we hold this understanding. And I'm undeserving, I know that. But Jesus, you've told me that I am righteous. We carry that ongoing understanding. Like, I don't deserve this. I just, anything I give God is not to earn anything. It's just like I'm just praising Him, I'm just worshiping Him because He's worthy. Does that make sense? Follow up? I think uh, a lot of it boils down to attitude and intent. And it sounds like your attitude and intent is in the right place, as opposed to doing it for show to bring glory to yourself. So, uh, I like that. No, I like it. Attitude and intent. You sound like a sheriff. <laughs> I said you sound like a sheriff. Uh, John, Johnny, you had your hand up, and then we got one more, Greg, after that. Uh, I think what you're grappling with is the understanding of as you follow Christ, you're in this process of transformation or sanctification, like a theological term. And when you're in that process, the Spirit endows on you his gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit and the fruits are that kindness, that joy, that wanting to freely give to others, not out of wanting to appease him, but it's just it's a natural part of his spiritual formation. But he's sanctifying us to look more and more like Christ and to have the fruits of his spirit. Yeah. Greg Gibson. Yeah, made me think about the Pharisees and just how, you know, if Jesus says, you're, you, you praise me with your mouth and your hearts are far from me. And I think we all probably have met a person who 
whose mouth says one thing, but their actions, you can see there's a whole different spirit there. And, you know, you are the only one that knows that, right? I mean, we are the only ones that know what our hearts are. And so, um, I think when you, you look at the Pharisees and, and you compare, you know, are we doing things with a hard heart? Are we just spewing something from our mouth? Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Do you have any follow up or anything? Uh, not that I can actually. Okay. So, like, I didn't have one little piece yeah. that I wanted to add. Oh, sorry. Just That's okay. Go for it. You said, David, about the worship people. It's not to be worshiped, and that's the doing after, but. You know, part of the why he wants to be worshiped is because he knows that that's when we will be having life to the full, that's when we will be, his joy will be complete in us, and for us, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a result. It comes after. I've been accepted, I've been secured, and now I'm set free not to do things out of brokenness and, like, neediness for him. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, trying to gain favor, but just as an overflow that relationship back in the back. I think what I think what she said um, it's a question that anybody who is a Christian would have I've been saved I have a new life I'm a new creation how do I now see myself as someone who is how do I see myself as a sin and individual? Mm. How do I then, like, it's like, well, I'm already this now. How do I do that? Because you want, I want my heart now to reflect what God has done in me and it's yes. not. But it's really hard to, to say and to, to even humble myself to a place of being able to say, God, I didn't do it today. I didn't follow you today. It's, that's the place that uh, what she said goes into. Yeah. The question that I have every day in my mind. Yeah, thank you. That's, thanks for sharing that. Um, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, um, there's like a tension of, okay, God calls me righteous now. So am I supposed to view myself as righteous? Or bankrupt. It's it's both. So our identity in Christ, in the kingdom, with Jesus, we have everything. But apart from Jesus, if we were to be just by ourselves, we hold this understanding of man. I'm so glad Jesus is in my life. Okay. So it's an understanding, both this world. Without him, man, I would be lost. Jesus, thank you for loving me at my worst. And praise be to God, I trust you because of your death. You have actually transferred your righteousness into my bank account. And so now when God looks at me, he doesn't see destitute. He sees beautifully rich righteousness and acceptance and glory and beauty. So when God looks at you, he sees the richness of Jesus in your account this is the practice of staying humble and caring about what God cares about okay this will be progressing any other thoughts before we turn the corner
Yeah, Carol. I just have a really, when you were speaking at first, the thing that just kept coming to my heart was when those things that we do, that place doing things, come out of a place of love for the Lord and what um, John was speaking to earlier about just the fruits of the Spirit and how that's an outpouring as we mature in the Lord. And I think when you were asking that question, that's what I just kept thinking of, is that when we, the more we know God, the more we love Him for who He is, the more we want to do those things, whatever they are, because we love Him. Not because we're supposed to, or it's the right thing to do, although those may be true. But I feel like that for me, personally, is a gauge of where is my heart and am I doing this as an outpouring of my love for Him because of who He is and what He's done for me. Beautifully put. Thank you. Okay, let's take a deep breath. All right. God is here. He loves you passionately. And He loves to respond to our courage when we actually sit with our heart open in His presence. And so as a practice of honoring God, we don't want to just hear a sermon and have a interesting discussion. We actually want to care about what God says. And so I'm going to ask you to just take a moment of silence and say, Lord, what are you speaking to me? And if I cared, what would that look like, me caring, if you were speaking that to me? So what is God speaking? God speak to us.